Hey there, everybody. We're back with another episode of the Bailey Bookish Podcast. How y'all doing? How you guys doing on this fine Wednesday? I hope that you guys are having a good week so far, that everything is nice and fun in your life, and that you guys are finding fun little hobbies to enjoy now that Rona is almost at a year. Is it at a year? I think it's almost at a year. But I hope you guys are finding fun hobbies, because... I've taken up a lot of them now. I'm into longboarding. That's been fun. I'm exploring whiskeys now. I don't know. It's It's been a weird year, but whatever. We're trying to make the most of it, I guess. But yeah, we're back with another episode on 1984 this week. It's going to be a lot of fun. I say that every week, but I, I think they're all really fun. So I hope you guys do too. And... Um, other fun things that we're doing is, uh, on twitch.tv slash bookish. I think that's the URL, probably. Um, we are streaming Stardew Valley now. I have a couple questions for everyone who is in love with Shane. Why? The guy kind of seems like a jerk right now. Hopefully he gets better soon, but I don't know, man. I don't really like Shane, but we shall see. So I'm streaming Stardew Valley. I got some Legend of Zelda going. Um, we got some Pikmin videos. I'll probably have a highlight reel of the Legend of Zelda video here soon. I don't know. But that doesn't really matter right now. I just wanted to say if you guys are interested, you can watch that. But we'll get right into the episode and starting now. everybody and welcome back to 1984 by George Orwell. I am joined once again by our wonderful friend of the show and myself, uh, Nicole. Hi! Uh, I am very excited to continue on with this quite honestly kind of insane book. This book, honestly, these chapters that we're going to cover today are just crazy and I... It's just a lot. It's a lot, and we're going to get into a lot. But I will just start right off, and we will continue uh, where we left off. And we are on Chapter 6. So Chapter 6, it starts off, and Winston is face-to-face with O'Brien. O'Brien talks about Winston's latest article and how he had a few words in it that had become completely obsolete in the 10th edition of the dictionary for uh, Newspeak, and O'Brien offers to let Winston borrow the 10th edition since it hasn't come out yet. So O'Brien gives Winston his address so that he can come pick up the dictionary, and Winston definitely thinks this is code for something. (laughs) Which, like, yeah. I mean, he's not really wrong. I know, but I was just like... I was in this moment, I was just like, what if Winston legitimately thought he was picking up a dictionary? He would have been surprised. I know, he definitely would have been surprised. (laughs) He would have been like, oh, okay, I guess we're not getting a dictionary today. I just, I don't know. When the first interactions between these two happened, I was thinking, oh shit, O'Brien is going to ship him off, you know? Mm -hmm. Because it had its, like, sketchy moment. Mm -hmm in there um yeah. and i was just like oh some shit's gonna go down i was pleasantly disappointed when nothing went down 
<laughs> yeah, nods his point until the end. Uh. Oh, I know. Oh, man. So, chapter seven, Winston woke up next to Julia. He says that he was dreaming of his mother's death and tells Julia that he truly thought he had murdered his mother for the longest time. And Julia's like, okay, and? Like, um, if someone says, hey, I thought I murdered my mom, but, like, luckily I didn't, wouldn't you be like, uh, okay, we should probably, like, not talk anymore. Deuces. See you later. But Julia's like, okay, cool. That's fun. Like, well, she's we've already established she's a bit nutty herself. Literally. I mean, <laughs> like, is this what George Orwell thinks of women? I don't know. Like, George, I, I, I really want, I really wish I could just sit down with the man. Yeah. Because he just. How much of your life, sir, did you pour into this book? Yeah, because it just seems like he thinks women are just complacent. Like, this, first off, this book does not pass the Bechdel test at all. There's no point in which you see other women talk to each other at all. Mm-hmm. And he, whenever he talks about Julia, is she doesn't have a mind or an imagination or, like, a drive. You know? She's yeah. very... Cut and dry. Yeah, she's just... There's nothing to her. There's nothing... There's no emotion. There's no feeling. She's just, like, our... What is it? The Mary Sue? <laughs> you know? She's just very... Like, bleh. You know, she yeah. doesn't have bleh anything. Bleh is, like, all you can say, really, yeah. is bleh. And it's just, like, I feel bad, because, like, I want to love all of our ladies, but, like, she just doesn't... You really have- want her to have more. Yeah, she just has yeah. nothing. She has no emotion. She has no feeling. And she's just, she's very obviously a woman written by a man who doesn't understand that women have feelings. You know, and it's sad because it's like you only they only allow the male characters to be complex characters mm-hmm. throughout this entire novel. There's no woman in power. There's no drive for any women to want to do anything. And like, well, some of that's from clean, cook and pop out babies. Yeah. And it's like, well, some of that's from Winston's perspective. It's still like not shown that anybody's changing that opinion at all. And it's just, like, so aggravating to me. Anyways, Winston is remembering his childhood, uh, that he grew up in a war, and how there was, like, never enough food to eat. And this is where you realize how much... We already, like, established that Winston's a terrible person, okay? Like, this it's a no This is how much fact. we establish he is an asshole yeah all his life literally there was no good child like okay so it talks about how he would get mad at his mother for not having enough food and it sounds like they were super poor they had like one bedroom that everyone shared apparently and then they had a communal like single like campfire stovetop that like many rooms shared so they were broke and he's out here complaining that he's not getting enough food every meal time he's yelling at his mother and it's like i need more like and this kid's like 10 years old okay mm-hmm. so it's like he's old enough to know not to be selfish Okay, like 10 years old is a decent like if you're like four or five. Okay, you don't know anything like you're you're an infant. Okay, like that's infancy. But like 10 years old, you have like some sort of like cognitive association of sharing. Mm -hmm. No, absolutely. Like I just 
he was like 10 or 12. And I, I just, I was so mad reading this part because he's always been like a terrible person. Like Winston is a horrible, horrible person. Yeah. No, this, this moment, like when he's thinking of his childhood, it, it just like, I was just like, dude, are you serious? Like it, he was just so nasty and his poor mother. Oh my gosh. Like yeah. his poor mom. You know, and then when they had to share the chocolate. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so essentially, um, he demanded he got everything while his mother and little sister, and his little sister is sick. She is like three years old. She is very sick. And he's making them starve. So after his mother gives him the majority of the chocolate, like three quarters of the chocolate, um, his younger sister is like looking at it kind of strangely, and he snatches it out of her hands. And runs away and leaves the house. Keep in mind that this is two ounces mm-hmm. of chocolate. They, they're sharing yeah. the three of them. Yeah. So it's, and like the mom's already not getting any, mm-hmm. you know, so that she could give um, our terrible, terrible child uh, the fair, like not the fair, the majority of the share. That's mm-hmm. what I meant to say. And I and then he like has the audacity to steal his younger sister's share because he's horrible to women. Mm-hmm. And then he steals he, it and runs away. Yeah, he leaves <laughs> and goes outside for a couple hours and then gets hungry again and comes back home only to find that his mother and his little sister are gone. And like he's like, I think they might have gotten taken to the labor camp. I think they left. Like no, I think she's I like <laughs> I was like, I think she was like done with this kid. She saw her opportunity and she left the kid because like she abandoned ship, man. Listen, I don't have a lot of like maternal instinct, okay? Like I know that. But I'm just saying, if a child was that much of a snot, we're in a war. Who's gonna know? Yeah. <laughs> like this kid is literally a little terror. Like he's horrible. He's and like the worst. He's the reason that his mother and his younger sister are starving to death mm-hmm. because he demands so much. Like they say how he, um, if she was pouring food, as soon as she stopped ladling food on his plate, he would start screaming and start trying to take the pot Rolling from her. A fit and temper tantrum and oh, like this man, <laughs> this child. Like, like I know that like, obviously, you know, like I, I I don't know how to I don't have a child I don't know how to parent but like I, I I don't even I wouldn't like in that situation I would literally just like be like nope like if you can't share you don't like I I really don't know how to handle that like ah. Oh. I hate it. I hate him as a child. I hate him as an adult. So terrible. Like, I don't understand. He is a terrible person, you know, and I give credit to his mom for trying, you know, like, and she tried. She's like, you know, you got to share, you know, and she like expresses to him that she's doing the best she can, you know, and he knows the situation they're in. The father left. Yeah, it's just a mom and a sick sister. You know, you'd think he, uh, at his age, you'd know 
you know, what is needed to survive. And he only cares about himself. He is very, yeah. very selfish. We also don't know if the father left to go to war either. Because this kid is not concerned with anything outside of his own person. So, like... Yeah. And the other thing I don't understand, okay? Like, you know, now we know this information. Was this supposed to make us feel bad for Winston growing up? Because it's presented like we're supposed to feel bad for Winston now. Like, I don't feel bad for Winston. Winston's a terror. He's Mm -hmm. the worst person in this entire... Like, everyone in this book is terrible, okay? Like, I already understand that. But, like... Winston's the worst. Why He's are the we worst. getting this information? Like, I now feel bad for Winston's mother and the unknown younger sister. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't feel bad for Winston. Like, no. let him get captured by the Thought Police. See if I care. I don't care. He If he dies at the end of this book, I'll be like, oh, no. Like, I don't care. Like, Yeah. Now I'm more curious to where's the sister and mother. <laughs> I know. Like, I'm more interested in knowing their story because his story is just him being selfish. Yeah. 24, he's a trash bag. A trash bag. Like, I still don't understand why this was presented to us at all. Yeah. Or, like, why it was in the context of him. He's like, well, I'm glad I know I didn't really murder her. Like, you basically did. You basically did, because she would be fine and dandy if you weren't starving her and your younger sister. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah. What? I'm so confused. Like, I just so caught, I was so caught up there's, in that moment. There's a lot of moments so far in this book that have been presented to us that really mm-hmm. don't make sense. Yeah. And there's, like, no, like, reasoning behind why. Mm-hmm. it was explained it's almost as if it's just filler yeah you know like in an anime series where they have that like background episode where they all go out to eat dinner mm-hmm. that's what i feel like is happening right now like i could have done without this like it yeah. just further shows to me that winston's a horrible horrendous human yeah and so i just why was i given this because now i just hate him more mm-hmm and, like, I don't know. Are we supposed to feel bad for Winston? Like, I really don't know. Like, he feels like enemy number one to me. Yeah, he, I don't know how to feel about him. Um, I go through periods where, like, oh, poor Winston, you know. But then you get to moments like this and you're just like, why am I, oh, poor Winston? Why yeah. did I feel anything for that past moment? I know. And it's just, like... I don't know if they're trying to show us, like, he's a product of the world he grew up in. But, like, you know, normally during war, people band together. You know? It's, like, na- like for the nation that's being attacked. Yeah. But he's just so selfish. So mm-hmm. I just... You're not really a product of the world if you're that incredibly selfish, I feel like. Yeah. You know, and I, I mean, I didn't grow up in that kind of world, so I can't, I can't necessarily say that, but like, I just feel like he would be more concerned about his family if like he's impoverished and he's trying to like, you know, not get enough food. Like, wouldn't you be concerned about the rest of your family who's also starving? Like, I don't understand why he doesn't care at all. He just has, he has no sense of care. There's no sense of feeling for others. There's no sense of care. And even for Julia, you know, mm-hmm. I don't even think he has a real sense of care for even her. No. It's 
theory, I think he's just using her for, like, in the beginning. Bow, chicka, bow, wow. The body. Yeah. Like, I don't think he cares about her. No, I don't think he truly cares about her. I think he just enjoys her company Mm -hmm. because it's somebody he can be with and talk shit, you know, and talk about his hate for the world. Talk about, you know, all the crap, you know, and Mm -hmm. not worry about thought police getting eliminated you know all that stuff like i think that's why he sticks around her because she is kind of the same way in a sense Mm -hmm. you know and it's like you do kind of get that from her where she's kind of the same person like she doesn't really care so much Mm -hmm. you know she if if they go down they go down she's just like we're just go down you know like he just they don't have any sort of meaningful conversation to the point where they could form a true connection. Like they're literally just like F buddies, you know? And it's like, he talks about like, they would never be able to get married, but like, you don't know her. You don't know anything about her. You have no real in-depth conversation. Mm -hmm. You know, all they do is bow chicka wow wow. And that's it. Mm -hmm. And drink coffee. And drink coffee. Yeah, drink a lot of coffee <laughs> for some reason. A lot of coffee. And like, I don't like I don't know if George Orwell just was never married or what. Like, and I feel like you should Google that. But I just feel like he apparently doesn't understand how romantic relationships work because um this is not it. Like you have to have an actual connection to your partner and Julia and Winston have no connection whatsoever at all. Yeah. Are you Googling it to find I out? I am. I am. I am Googling. Maybe uh, like the time. He did, he did marry on June 9th, 1936. So it says it was first published in 1949. So if you understand how romantic relationships work, how can you write Winston and Julia? Yeah. He died a year later. Oof. He died in 1950. It says first published in 1949. Yeah, no, you're right. It even says that on, on the Googles. It hmm. says 1949. Wow. It's the one of the, it was I think the last book. It was the last book he published. He died. He, he wait what year? 1949. 19. Does it say a uh, like a month or day? Not on this one. Let me let me click this Google search. Um. Yeah, it says this was his last book. June, okay, so originally published June 8th, 1949, and he died January 21st, 1950. Uh, well. He died like six months later. So he could not get any criticism about this book then, because he died. But he did marry. He married an Eileen O'Shaughnessy. So, like, what was their relationship like? Because apparently him and Winston and Julia, you know, have no connection. I feel like if you're writing a book, you should know how relationships work. And they don't have a relationship. Like, unless it's intended that way. Like, I don't know. Now I'm curious. Hang on. Was it a happy marriage? I know. I'm going through his personal life here now. (laughs) I love it. All right, let's go back to the book. So Winston tells Julia that if they were smart, they would walk out of here and never see each other again. 
And Julia says that she's not going to leave and they cannot get inside you. While they can make you say anything, they can never change the way you feel. Like, you guys are lusting after each other. You're not even in love. Like, I don't... I don't understand. Okay, so chapter 8. Julia and Winston both come to Orion's house. Then O'Brien reads a sheet of paper and talks in inner party jargon. And honestly, I have no idea what he said. Like, yeah. that little paragraph, I... It could have said anything. I have no idea what it said. <laughs> so, O'Brien has the power to turn off the telescreen because he's in the inner party. Which, I don't even understand how they can do that. Like, we're talking about a government who does not trust anyone, you know? Mm-hmm. They don't even trust themselves because uh, Emmanuel Goldstein was literally a inner, uh, part of the big brother like mm-hmm. top head honchos so they obviously trust absolutely no one so how do the inner party members have the ability to turn off the telescreen yeah like it just does not make any sense to me that that doesn't seem like a power that anyone should have if the entire reason that they are implemented is so that you could uh monitor your citizens like I don't yeah get i don't i don't get it but i mean i guess it's it's a power thing it's just, I think it's just to show how the inner party has power. Yeah, probably. But I mean, just... Granted, the whole thing is about not giving power to anybody, but I guess they have to show that somebody, that some have power. I wonder if it secretly doesn't do anything. Like, I wonder if it just turns off the TV screen, but the recording software still works. Oh, man. That's my thought. <laughs> it's like, why why would they give anybody that power? That'd be terrifying. That's my guess. That's what I think is happening. So um, Winston tells O'Brien that they want to rebel against the party, that they are adulterers and thought criminals. Like, full-on lays it all out there. <laughs> We like, are this, this, and this. The trust he has in O'Brien right now for absolutely no reason. Mm-hmm. He just throws it all out there. And first of all, he brought Julia, who was not even invited. Okay. Yeah, it's, you know, like during this whole exchange, it was almost as if she was not there. Yeah, because he pay- O'Brien pays no attention to Julia at all. Uh, whatsoever. And even tells her that she is going to have to leave first. The amount of men and the patriarchy that exist in this novel infuriates me. No, I agree. I definitely agree. It's it's crazy. Like she she was brought there and she's like basically not spoke of the entire time they were there. Except yeah. for the last question that O'Brien asks and they both mm-hmm. say no. Yes or no. They both say no. Yeah, they both say no. Oh no. So uh turns out the brotherhood is way, he hesitates in saying no i know <laughs> i know oh we'll get there in a second so turns out the brotherhood is real and immediately brotherhood that's sexist like mm-hmm. this entire book is so male-centered that when we get to the part where he's reading the book by emmanuel I am going to talk about that a little bit more, but we will come back to it. Just putting a pin in that for now. So 
O'Brien asks if they're ready to lie, murder, possibly kill innocent people during sabotage, corrupt, and everyone's like, yeah, that sounds fun. I love that idea. Totally. (laughs) That's great. And then after everything, he asks him if him and Julia are prepared to separate and never see each other again. And immediately Julia's like, no, not a thing, not happening. And, um... Winston's like, la-di-da, la-di-da, hmm, a thought. And it's like, if you guys are in love, okay, like legitimately in love, you would not think about separating. Mm-hmm. Like you would not be able to bear it. And like the fact that Winston is just kind of like, hmm, could I do that? I'm not sure. Like that should tell you everything you need to know. Yeah. I hate Winston. No, he's he's definitely not nice, you know. And and it kind of like makes me feel bad for Julia. I know this base this set part basically shows like she is literally in love with him. Mm -hmm. Like she is in love with him. You know, she doesn't want to separate. She wants to be with him. And he is just like, eh. Yeah. But it's like, she also doesn't know him. You know? She's just attracted to him for some reason, which he doesn't seem, like, conventionally attractive at all. I think this whole book, though, is, like, based around that nobody does not know anybody. I mean, even marriages here. You really don't know the person that you're marrying because it's based... Because you can't love the person. You can't... You don't have really any interactions with the person, and we've basically boiled it down to arranged freaking marriages. Yeah, I guess. So it's like the whole book is based around not knowing anybody around you. I mean, you don't really see them talking to each other. You don't, you know, I think lunchtime at work is the only time you really see people talking to each other. Mm -hmm. I'm guessing that in their heads, attraction equates love. Because they don't understand that love is a process. It's not like the first time you see someone, you don't like instant love is not a thing. Uh, instant mm-hmm. attraction is, and then love comes after, mm-hmm. you know. But they ha- obviously wouldn't have any idea of the, of the difference because they have not experienced either. Yeah. So I no. guess that makes sense. Yeah. Uh, that's what I'm boiling it down to. Yeah. <laughs> So O'Brien oh, says, and can we just mention that O'Brien says, are you ready to pour acid on a child's face? Yeah, and in what <laughs> way would we ever need to, like, I get that the children are basically little mini Hitler spies now, but, like, in what, what reason do we have for pouring acid on a child? I read that, and I was just like, what the fuck? Yeah. Just, and like Winston's like, yeah, yeah, I'll do oh that. Tomorrow, if you want me to? And I'm like, Winston, you're a horrendous individual. He's just like, let's do it. Yeah, Winston's like, not even phased. Like he's like, yeah, that's what I got to do. Like he's what? not phased by anything. I know, but like, what benefit would it serve the government to pour acid on a single child's face? Absolutely nothing. Brotherhood at this point. Yeah, but like the government would be like, eh, whatever, you know, that's not even a real act of rebellion, you know, that's just like a small inconvenience in the grand scheme of things where you <laughs> still like 
hurt a child for no reason. You know, it's that, not. That's, it's just, it's not an inconvenience. Like, in, well, the thing is, it's like, it's horrible. Okay. It's like, horrible. let me make that very clear. It is horrible for the child. It is horrible for the child's parents. But what's the government going to care about one child? Why is that a giant act of rebellion? Like, and what reason would you need to do that? Yeah. Like, that's an issue I, I don't. I mean, if care. anything, you would want to kill the tiny little Hitler, you know, not scar him. I mean, as horrible as that sounds, you know, if you're just pouring acid on him, he still can run off and tell and do whatever he wants to do. Let's do this. Basically, for it to mean anything to the government, he would have to have an Anakin Skywalker moment, you know, (laughs) kill all younglings. That means something to the government. Okay. But hurting and defacing one small child no matter if that child is a spy, is not the government's not going to care about one mm-hmm. tiny human in the no. grand scheme of things. So why even do it? Yeah. Like I love either how we totally brought Disney up in here. <laughs> That's the only thing I can think of. It's like Anakin killing the younglings. Horrendous atrocity. The Jedi Council cares. Mm-hmm. If Anakin happened to murder one child, would anyone really care? Like, the kid, obviously, that's dead would care. The parents would care. But would the Jedi Council care? Yeah. Probably not. Would Probably the Empire not. care? Probably not. But it's like, he m- murdered all the Jedi younglings, which are already, like, hard to find, you know? Mm-hmm. So he killed, like, 15 kids. That's, that's an atrocity. Yeah. What... Pouring acid on one child. I still don't understand. Like, I don't understand the leaps and bounds of logic here. I mean, it's probably just O'Brien's way to see how far they're willing to go. I, I mean, guess. Probably. That makes sense. But, like, it was a bit extreme. I know. It's it random. It was a bit extreme and random. Yes, it was extreme and random. Like, I just don't understand the benefit that that would serve, I guess. I don't know. So, okay. Anyways, back to. Moving past Anakin killing younglings, let's go. <laughs> um, so O'Brien says that they will know that the Brotherhood exists, but nothing more, and they will receive orders that they must carry out quietly. The main problem I have with this is that no one knows how large the Brotherhood is. They say not even Emmanuel Goldstein, who leads the Brotherhood, knows how large it is. Mm-hmm. And the reason I have an issue with that is. Every single member of the entire society could be a member of the Brotherhood. And no one would know. Mm-hmm. So they could have overthrown the government by now. But instead, by taking these precautions, mm-hmm. you know, and no one knowing, it's so, um, not dismantled, but like, um, I forgot what that word is. But it's, like, so spread out that it's, like, they're never going to accomplish anything because you don't know who's in it, who's not, to how to figure out how many people are in it. And, like, I just think they could have overthrown the government by now. Mm-hmm. Like, there is no reason for them to continue on unless this is also a separate act by the party to have a rebellion and to have people in the rebellion who think they're doing something to then continue with the party. Mm-hmm. Like, I think the party might be leading the Brotherhood. I don't... Uh, I don't know. I don't That's my conspiracy so. theory. Your conspiracy theory. Yeah, I don't know. Um, 
I, I, I don't know. I think they're two sides. I, I of the same think point. I have an opinion on that yet. <laughs> I think they're two sides of the same coin. Like, obviously, this might be um, completely out of left field, but I really think that it's like they need someone internally to seem like the bad guy mm-hmm. to rile the people up and to keep them engaged. Like kind of what they talk about with war is it keeps people complacent, you know? Mm -hmm. So I think the brotherhood does essentially the same thing. And that even members of the brotherhood don't realize that that's what's happening. Yeah. I mean, that makes sense. It could go that way. Yeah. That are in way too deep now. That's probably Orwell's uh, plan. (laughs) So uh, Orion says they will receive orders quietly and they just must carry them out so they also talk about how they're able to completely change the way people look mm-hmm. they have surgeons and everything yeah i'm like yeah okay like <laughs> hair dye does the same thing so then it makes me think about everybody who's disappeared mm-hmm. have they really disappeared or have they joined the brotherhood yeah because it could have thought police people who are in on it. Yeah. Maybe. Um, O'Brien tells them that they will probably die before change happens and that their hopes are for a better future and for future generations, not for themselves. And I was like, okay. Like, I don't think people understand how quickly a revolution can happen. Mm-hmm. Like, it seems like he thinks that this is going to be like a hundred years. Whereas mm-hmm. like, a revolution can occur in the matter of like two or to three years. Mm-hmm. You know, it can be a quick shift. I'm not saying that what the after effect would be would be good, but like they can pick up the pace on this a little bit. Like they don't need to spend 20, 30 years trying to plant the seed for this revolution. They can just uh, do it. Yeah. I don't know. Oh, exactly. So O'Brien gives him the rules on how he's going to get the book. And tells him that he must return it in 14 days. And then he also made Julia leave by this point for no reason. Because apparently she has to leave first. It made no sense. That whole interaction. They came in together, but they have to leave separate. Yeah. It made no sense to me. I don't know. I don't know either. But, like, I don't know how they expect Julia to not get caught when she's not even supposed to be there. Mm Mm-hmm. I don't know. So, um, chapter nine. Worst... Oh, yay. Yeah, uh, the horrendous the chapter. Worst freaking chapter so far. Honestly, it took me a while to get through this chapter. It took me a while as well. And then I saw how long it was going to take, and I took a nap. Yeah. That's one thing I like about the Kindle. It'll tell me how quickly it takes for me to get through chapters. And I was going, one chapter was, oh, five minutes, six minutes, mm-hmm. five minutes, 25 minutes. So I was like, oh, it's nap time. Yeah, I should have taken it out. <laughs> I was <sighs> like, oh, my gosh. And then you read it. And then you're just like, okay. Yeah, literally, though. <laughs> So, Winston has had the book for six days and still hasn't looked at it yet. 
And then through Hate Week, it became that known that East Asia was actually the enemy now. So they all had to work 90-hour weeks to switch over everything from um, Eurasia to East Asia being the enemy and Eurasia to being their alliance. And all the people tore down the, quote, wrong posters Mm-hmm. While the announcement was made that it's actually East Asia and said that, that, that those posters were planted by the Brotherhood. <laughs> like, I don't understand how they can get all these people to go along so eagerly with this whole thing. Like, I just don't understand. Like, I get that they're scared for their life, but like, Everyone could very easily be like, "Oh, weird. I didn't. That's. I don't know why that's up." But everyone like rushes to freak out and tear down posters for no reason. Yeah. No. This whole this whole chapter was just mm-hmm. crazy. Weird. But I will say the one thing I appreciate from this chapter is the breakdown of zones. Yes. Same. You know, we finally get the breakdown of the world mm-hmm. and who's in control of that. So I did appreciate that from this chapter. Everything else, I was just like, oh, my God. Yeah. <laughs> so everyone had to go back into work to make the changes and people slept at work and meals were provided. Like they got two breaks so that they could get three hours of sleep on each break. And that's it. So eventually, all the work faded and it became impossible to ever prove that there was a war with Eurasia at all. And Winston, um, like, leaves work and has a little bit of time, so he goes to the hiding room above the shop and starts reading the book. (laughs) So the chapter titles of the book are the same as the party slogan, and they kind of go through to explain the world... But, like, in the most droning and, like, if you watch, read a crazy person's manifesto, I feel like that's this. Like. Yeah, it was, it's literally a breakdown of almost how the slogan was created. Yeah. But it's also, like, the worst. It's trying to reflect on our world. And, like, I get it, okay? Like, I get that the world's a messed up place. Mm -hmm. Like, I don't know. Like, the way the words flowed, it was so draining and it was almost like it's I imagined a monotone person reading it yeah it was kind of like mansplaining to me mm-hmm. do you did you kind of feel like that where like they use big words to try and confuse you when they could have just simplified the entire sentence they could have simplified like, this entire chapter yeah like the chapter was so long and like it repeated itself a couple times mm-hmm. in different parts and it was just like Like, I get that you're basically trying to, like, disregard newspeak Mm -hmm. in a way that, like, shows that you're still good with, like, old English. Not old English, but, like, traditional English. Mm -hmm. But, like, using more words and repeating yourself is not the way to do that. Mm -hmm. And it it was just so much. And it was so boring. Like, this is the one time when Julia fell asleep. I was like, girl, I feel that. (laughs) I I wish I could. (laughs) Yeah, it was so. No. I don't know. It was it's really just... bad. Not only that, did you notice that the first chapter repeated itself when Julia yeah. came in? The whole thing repeated itself. I know. Like, why? 
it got to the point where I started skipping it, and I know people are gonna like at me and be like, "That was such an important reflection on the world around us." And I'm gonna be like, "Try and read it and tell me that you were not bored out of your mind." Because like, here's the thing, mm-hmm. and Winston even says this: it does not tell you anything we don't already know. Yes. You know, this is basically just reiterating knowledge that's already in my head, which is what mansplainers do. I already know the thing. I know the world. I understand the world we're living in, terrible place. I understand doublethink. I understand that the world contradicts itself continuously and that they're updating the old history. And we can't even trust that that old history was even correct because they're continuously updating it. I understand all this. So why did I just read like 50 pages of things I already knew? Mm-hmm. And then reread it again. Yeah, I don't understand. Like, I don't understand the benefit. Like, the only new information that we learned was the, like, locations of Eurasia, Oceania, and East Asia. That is the only new thing we understood. That, I felt, was, like, the most important. That is the knowledge that I pulled from that entire chapter. Everything else was just, just... reiteration and it just repeats and thank you julia for falling asleep because he stopped reading yeah because <laughs> like, I, I was I, over rereading all that like was this a manifesto george orwell's trying to write and have us learn from because i just don't care like i and i know that that's a privilege to say that i don't care about the world but like in this moment we know the world's corrupt. We understand that. I don't, like, what was the point of writing all the same information that we already know down? Like, mm-hmm. if you're joining the Brotherhood, it's not because you think that Big Brother's a great place to live and that, you know, it's not corrupt at all. Like, mm-hmm. we know it's corrupt. That's why you join the Brotherhood. I don't yeah. understand who his audience for this is. Like, he's literally mansplaining to people in the Brotherhood of why they should join the Brotherhood when they joined the Brotherhood because they knew that they were in a corrupt government. Mm-hmm. I don't... Yeah, so... The thing he does talk about is how um, the party continues with war because they don't want to improve the standard of living. So they use war as a way to get rid of valuable resources, which I thought was, like, an interesting point. Yeah. But, like... It's still like, yeah, I could have connected the dots there. Um, also, there's no contact between citizens of any of the foreign countries. And essentially, all of the foreign countries are exactly the same. And it's the same way of living in Oceania. Like, they're all in dictatorships. Which I was hoping, you know, that we'd find out that they were trying to free Oceania. But mm-hmm. no, everyone's terrible. Why is everyone terrible? Like, you, I don't understand why everyone has a big brother like what was the cultural shift that brought everyone to the same place yeah you know like i my question is which one of these big brothers is going to realize they need to uh stop big brothering (laughs) yeah like i just i don't know how everyone got to the same place like i really don't because it's like if you look at the way america's run Mm-hmm. Which is not well. Anyways, that's a conversation for a later day. Um, <laughs> and you look at the way Europe is run, or like the way you know Russia is run, or Africa, different countries in Africa is run. Like every country is run differently. Mm-hmm. So I don't understand how in this fictitious world 
three countries are run identically. Yeah. Because that doesn't happen. Like, no one, no one runs the country the same way. Like, everyone tries to do what's best for the people in the country. Mm-hmm. At least you hope. So I don't, yeah. like, I... So Julia, once she gets there, tells Winston to read the book aloud so he can explain it as they go through it. And basically, they go through chapter one, which is just a reiteration of every single thing we already know. Like, if you want to waste your time and read that, Uh go for it. But, like, if I wasn't reading it for the podcast, I would have skipped on over it because it really doesn't tell you anything. Uh Um... Also, they mentioned something about having slaves. So is slavery still an issue in this book? I guess so. I mean, because they're having... Well, I don't know if there's if it's really slaves or if he meant to be, say, servants. Because I know that there were mm-hmm. servants. I know there's servants. He says something about having slaves. And I was like... Like, he wrote this in 1949. Like, there was still segregation... No. Okay. So slavery was abolished in 1865. So he didn't grow up with slavery. Why would he write slavery into his fictitious world? Like, I get segregation. Wait, when? when was it abolished? 1865. Okay. okay. And so segregation was still occurring because this was published in 1950. So I get that he's still probably racist. No surprise there. Mm-hmm. But, like, I don't understand why he brought slavery into 1984. Because it's not like he grew up with slavery. So I don't understand why he would be like, ah, oh, I gotta bring that in there. Like, it doesn't make sense to me. It really doesn't. And I just don't understand why that would be brought. Why we need... I might have to do research into that. Yeah, because I am confusion. I I don't know. Oh, and then this is the part in the book where I realize every time he meant like in Emmanuel Goldstein mentions a member of the party or a human being, he uses the pronoun he. And first of all, I get that, you know, people did not use the pronoun they then much but they don't, he doesn't even do the obligatory he slash she he only uses the pronoun he as if only members of the brotherhood can be men first of all i want to make it very clear they is gender neutral don't use he slash she anymore because you look like a buffoon just use they it's simple but like i just don't he just doesn't even expect females to be a member of the Brotherhood, apparently, because he only writes it towards men. And he kicked Julia out. Yeah. But, like, even Emmanuel Goldstein just uses the he pronoun. Like, throughout the entire book, when you read it, it just says he, as in a reference to party members. <laughs> like, why do women serve no purpose in this book? And why is there so much patriarchy that they can't even use he slash she or they? Like, I get in 1950, they probably did not use they nearly as commonly as we use they currently. Why does the patriarchy exist so heavily that no one would bat an eye with only using male-centered pronouns? And why yeah. is you okay with it? Like, was this a thing where 
when books were written about humankind, they only used the he male pronoun. We might have to read some more books during this time by male authors. <laughs> I know. So I, I read Pride and Prejudice before this. So, you know, and I read Fahrenheit 451. And even Fahrenheit 451, I don't like it was heavily male centered, but like they didn't use he pronouns and references to human beings, I don't think. So we're going to have to find that out. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Someone. Okay. Only one person. If you, when this comes out, is allowed to message me and say, yes, male authors are trash. They always use the he, him pronoun. But don't, if it's after the second day of this coming out, don't message me. I don't, at that point, I probably know already. <laughs> terrible, terrible. So as Winston reads the book to Julia, he realizes that she has fallen asleep. And like girl, same. Thank you, girl. <laughs> Thank you for falling I, asleep. I was so tired of it's so imagining bad. a monotone man reading. You know, like a trash high school history professor who's like puts on those like documentaries and they're like, and on the third day <laughs> of yes. Easter sundown that's what i was imagining it was written well like it was so dragging and so boring and it was definitely written by someone who likes to hear themselves speak yes so annoying (laughs) so yeah she falls asleep and then we move on to chapter 10 oh my favorite chapter Uh, oh my gosh i was so excited reading this chapter So basically, when they woke up... something actually happens. Yeah, Winston's, like, consumed with his thoughts. He goes outside, and he's looking at that lady that's always singing. And he says how he thinks she's actually beautiful, even though she's had, like, 15 kids. First of all, (laughs) what? What? He's, like, shocked that she's beautiful for being, like, 50. And I'm like, buddy boy, buddy boy, how old are you? Like, you are old. Like, I'm pretty sure he's older. Like, I think he's also in his 50s. So, mm-hmm. first of all, we've already established that this man is essentially a pedophile. Okay? Because he is only interested in girls that are barely of legal age. Mm-hmm. And I don't understand why he's looking at this woman. And then he tells Julia, like, oh, she's so beautiful. And Julia's like, man, like, I don't. And talks about how they can never have children. Yeah. Like, yeah, you can, but... Uh, <laughs> it's not, not going to go well. Like, it's not good, yeah. Do you really... Like, it doesn't seem like anybody really wants kids this generation, like, this time period anyway, so I don't understand why he's no like... No really oh, wants no. them, but they have to have them. Yeah. So he's like, oh, no, I'll never have kids. Like, why do you even want offspring? First of all, you were a terror. I You're think not maybe help. it's we don't want him to have offspring. <laughs> I think we don't want it. But like, is Julia going to raise your kids for you? Like, no. Yeah. She's a young, independent woman. You first off, starve your wife and child. Probably because he's a horrible trash bag. So as they're talking, a voice comes from behind the wall and starts telling orders to them and telling them to go to the middle of the room. <laughs> and I just like. Well, I am so excited. <laughs> and then knocks the picture off the wall. Turns out telescreen behind it. 
Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> My other thing while I was reading this is why did he not do this while they were reading the book? Because he was reading it out loud. So th- I think I because mm. I would just for dramatic effect do it when they finish the chapter because now it's probably been a couple hours because they fell asleep. No, I think they wanted to hear as much as possible. Oh, that makes sense too. I think it was they knew they were going to get caught or they they knew that they were going to catch them and they wanted mm-hmm. to hear as much as possible. That makes sense. So the entire house is surrounded. Um, a bunch of people storm into the bedroom. They beat Julia up, take her away, and then Winston's left sitting there and Mr. Uh, Charrington, who's the guy that owns the um, shop and that bedroom, walk, strolls into the room and basically they find out that he was thought police the entire time. <laughs> so they fully got set up here. They got set up hardcore. Yeah. They were hardcore set up. They they were completely tricked, you know, and now I'm just like, now I'm just like, Mr. Charrington, how many people have you done this to? Yeah. Like, how many people has he caught? I know, but it's so easy because everyone's so trusting. And, like, for the fact that, you know, you should expect to be bugged, mm-hmm. why did you not check to make sure there weren't any bugs? Yeah. That's the first thing I would have done. I would have checked. Mm-hmm. I would have taken the paintings off the walls. I would have moved the bed around. You know, I would yeah. have done a thorough check of that room before I even started any any kind of conversations. Mm-hmm. And they didn't. They were just trusting of some random man. And so, yeah, they got caught. And I accidentally left this on a cliffhanger. So we will be picking that up again next week and <laughs> talking about you it. did leave this on a cliffhanger. I know. Oh, right. your viewers. <laughs> yeah, for anybody who hasn't been a part of the Barely Book Club and wants to join, um, I accidentally do this a lot. Like, there was when we read um, Rage and Ruin and Storm and Fury. Every time I ended the chapters, and I just randomly picked them. I picked like a normal uh, amount of pages and then ended the chapters on those pages. Mm-hmm. Every chapter, like every section of reading, I felt like I left them on a cliffhanger. And I would always have to be like, oh, I'm sorry, everyone, for <laughs> anyone who's reading right now. And, you know, got left on a cliffhanger. Sorry. And well, so I just. Come back next week. <laughs> yeah, come back next week, everybody. Um, We'll continue to discuss this trash bag of a human, Winston, and I... I can't wait to see what happens to them. I know. I know. I really cannot wait to see what happens to them. Mm-hmm. It's going to be so good. It's going to be juicy. And I don't know why they pulled Julia out of the room and just left Winston there. Dude, they beat her till she was limp. And then they didn't do anything They literally picked her up by her arms and her legs and just carried her out. Yeah, and they didn't do anything to Winston. Why would they beat Julia for no reason besides the fact that she's a woman? No, they literally, like, beat her up. Yeah. Like, like they all... described it as hitting her so hard she folded in half. Yeah, and it's just like, they didn't do anything to Winston. And for what? For what? They're If they're convicted of the same crime, why is it her that's getting beat up to a pulp and Winston's not even being touched? Maybe because she is supposed to be like anti chastity or, or whatever, anti, I don't know, anti sex club or something. But I mean, 
That's assuming that they did research before they came in. And they didn't just well, they've it. been listening the entire time these two have That's been in true. there. It's not the first time that the telly screen was in there. I'm pretty sure it's been in there from the get-go. Yeah. So they've been listening all along. Yeah. That's true. I don't know. I don't know why, though. Because it's like he's still a person that re- he works for the Ministry of Love. You know, he rewrites the news. Mm-hmm. So it's like I feel like he's equal on their radar as she is. So I don't understand why, for some reason, you know, she gets beaten to a pulp and he gets he's going to get a talking to. Like, I guess we're going to find out more. Yeah. You left it on a cliffhanger. I know. <laughs> And I don't read ahead right now. Like, I haven't read, a- read ahead in any of um, our 1984 series. So I don't know anything. Like, neither do I. Yeah. So you get genuine reactions here. Yeah. Oh, my goodness. All right. Well, we will catch you guys on the next one next week and hopefully find out some juicy tidbits of what happened. Uh, Nicole, if all the people on the internet want to find you, where can they find you? They can find me on uh, Twitch, Twitter, Facebook, uh, Instagram at Scarlet Rose FL, Scarlet with two T's. Yeah. And no E after Scarlet. For some reason, every time I spell Scarlet, I put an E at the end. I don't know why. Yeah. No E. No Just E. Just two T's. Yeah, you can <laughs> continuously misspell it and not get anywhere like I do every time I try and invite you to a uh microsoft teams call and then it takes 20 (laughs) minutes to figure out why i can't seem to get you in the call (laughs) i'm gonna copy and paste your email now like that's just what's gonna happen Uh, okay (laughs) but yeah we will catch you all the next one we'll talk to you later bye bye Thank you all so much for listening to this episode of the Barely Bookish podcast. If you want to find me, I'm at Barely Bookish on literally everything. I'm on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, TikTok, and also Twitch. So feel free to check me out on any of those places um, or go to barelybookish.com connect and you can find links to everything. And yeah, that's basically all I've got for you guys this week. Um, I hope you guys have a great rest of your week and I will see you guys again on Wednesday. Um, Our logo was designed by my little sister, Sarah. Our theme song is by Raphael Crux on freepb.com. And I'll see you guys later. Bye.